You are listening. You are listening. You are listening to the Fly Fishing ninety seven podcast. And but that's like a lot of things. Like I mean, I, I look at it as same with the hunting. I mean, now there's all these you know things that make things a lot easier than they used to be. But at the same time, those those older hunters were still getting it done with the primitive stuff that they were using, right? Mm-hmm. And it's the same thing with the fly fishing, you know, arsenal. It's it's like people were catching, you know, with with big ass, you know, bamboo rods that weighed like ten pounds, and they were out there you know, getting it done kind of thing. If you, if you, if you just know what you're doing, kind of thing, right? Like, right. I mean, the technology is not, it's not the answer to, to becoming a better, you know, outdoorsman. It's always about knowledge. It's always about mentorship. It's always about, you know, providing a hint here and there to somebody who's, who's a novice. So I think the sharing information is, is the other thing too, is, is like, because if, if nobody knows about, about the beauty, the beauty that you have right in your backyard. Like, I mean, nobody's gonna care if something's happening to it, right? Yeah. So if if you let people know about about what we do have, is is they will say, hey, you know, we need to protect that because maybe someday I'll want to do that, or maybe my kid wants to do that, or, or who knows, right? Yeah. So if we take that to our grave, what good does that do? Welcome to the Fly Fishing 97 podcast, featuring interviews with passionate people within the fly fishing industry. We focus on guides, conservation, resort managers, gear, and talented fly tires bringing usable information to fly fishers. The Fly Fishing 97 podcast is brought to you by The Fly Crate. Hey everyone, this is Nate from theflycrate.com. I just wanted to thank you again for listening to the podcast and want to let you know about our membership option called the Mix and Match subscription. This is for people who don't want us to hand curate a selection of flies for you, but you would rather choose 100% of what you receive each and every month. For $19.95 a month, you will receive $30 of the Fly Crate store credit. So you're getting for $19.95, 30 bucks to spend on our site, and you will be able to choose 100% of what you want and each and every month you'll receive those flies or it will, you know, it will roll over in a crew. So if you don't spend that money, that $30 credit, it just keeps building up. You rack up the credit and about, you know, if you don't spend the 30 bucks for three months, now you have $90 of store credit that you can just use on a one-time purchase or however you want to do it on your purchase whenever you need it. But there's a great way to pick exactly what you want and save money on the fly crate without having to worry about the commitment. And this gives you more for more for your buck. So anyway, go to theflycrate.com and find the icon with the $30 store credit. Welcome to this edition of the Fly Fishing 97 podcast. Thanks so much for joining us this time around. We really appreciate it. We're going to take you out to the prairies of Canada. We're going to head to the outskirts of Regina, Saskatchewan. We've got Julio Salazar on the line. Now, Julio is a graphic designer in Saskatchewan. He's an image creator avid fly fisher um you can tell that by looking at his instagram page for sure avid fly tar julio thanks so much for coming on the podcast tonight well thanks for the invitation i was actually quite uh thrilled to get an invite to talk about fly fishing one of my favorite things well you seem like somebody that is really into it so that's something just so you know i always go for on this program it's passion first um i don't really care what somebody does for a day job or where do you get your passion? I can tell it's from fishing. 
uh, fly fishing specifically. So talk to me, uh, Julio, how you came to discover fly fishing. Well, you know what? I, I think uh, my, my love for uh, water and things that live in it has, uh, goes back a long ways. I was actually born in, in the northern part of Chile. Mm-hmm. in South America. And, uh, it was a desert. So anytime I saw water and especially running water and like uh, greenery, right? Like trees and bushes and stuff, I was just in heaven. So, uh, when my family emigrated to Canada in 1975, um, I w- I came to this land of incredible wilderness. I mean, it was Canada was to us was known as this wild, you know, place with, you know, mountains and rivers and snow and all that stuff. And, and I had in my, in my youth always, always gravitated to, you know, anything that had to do with, with, uh, that type of, um, landscape, right? Lots, lots of greenery, lots of water, fish. And I always wanted to be a scout, right? I mean, I wanted to join the scouts, but there was no scouts where I was, right? But there were shows about scouts and, and people discovering nature and stuff. But there was always this affinity to, you know, to seek out, you know, running water or even 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 still water. But because there was living creatures in there that could be caught. Mm-hmm. So I don't know why, you know, how that that ever started from the very beginning. But when I came to Canada, uh, I I got that much closer to this, you know, this uh, um, idea of of you know experiencing the wild. Sure. And basically. Uh, I started reading outdoor magazines such as, you know, uh, Outdoor Life and Field and Stream. And I just loved, you know, seeing anything to do with fly fishing. I loved the hardware. I loved the, you know, uh, the places that these these uh, images, you know, depicted, you know, the rivers and, and, and rough and tough sort of areas that these uh, fishermen would, you know, would scour, you know, in, in pursuit of their prey. And I don't know what it was about it. I mean, it was the fact that they tied their flies and, you know, people fishing with bamboo rods and all, all that kind of stuff. There was this incredible, uh, almost a nostalgic sort of appeal to it. Sure. How old were you when you moved um, to Canada? I was, I was nine when I moved to Canada. And we actually ended up live, um, basically flying right into, after Toronto, uh, into Regina. And this is where I've basically been my... My family made their home, so I've been here ever since. Hmm. Um, and, you know, Saskatchewan is probably not the first place that people would think about fly fishing, but uh, as I've learned, um, it, it does actually have a lot of history with fly fishing because in the southwest part of uh, Saskatchewan, it, it was one of the, the first places that was sort of stocked uh, with uh, non-native fish, which was uh, the, the, the three different, well, two trout and one char, like the brown trout, rainbow trout, and, and then brookies. And and that area has, has some creeks that are just tailor-made for for what those species need, and they have thrived, you know. Uh, but they're not easy places to access and or fish. So there's a, there's a, they're very unique to that. And one of the things that, you know, the first idea of fly fishing um, that most people have is you see this guy in the middle of this, you know, great big river, you know, casting away with these beautiful, you know, uh, what do you call uh, uh, majestic, you know, movements that, that launch mm-hmm. a fly out into the river and to try and catch fish. 
well, you can't do that here in Saskatchewan unless you're doing like lake fishing. Like still water fishing is about the only time you'll have that kind of space. Right. In, in, the, in, the, in the creeks here that I fish, they're extremely thick and choked with willows and deadfall and tall grass. And, and the streams themselves are very narrow for the most part, you know. And incredibly enough, though, the water um, is pristine because they're, they're, um, they're fed by underwater, underground stream, um, springs. Mm. So that keeps the water at constant temperature, which is perfect for the trout. So they can survive summer and or winter because the water is always flowing, you know, and it's always bringing fresh water at a constant temperature, which is perfect for them. Right? From, so, what I, from what I can tell, it looks like you fish a lot of spring creeks. That's my favorite. You know what? Uh, there's, there's something about uh, uh, walking the stream and and knowing that just around the corner could be, you know, one of the one of the nicest fish you've ever laid your your hands on, kind of thing. If you mm-hmm. happen to, you know, to to connect, right? And so that for me is always is always the attraction about streams. It's it's physically tough fishing. Like by the end of the day, it feels like I've been you know I've been put through the ringer, you know, physically. Right. But uh, the feeling of the exhilaration that that I would have after a like a like a good day, where I've actually, and when I say good day, I mean if you catch one or two fish, it's actually a good day. Because hmm. a lot of times, you know, I still get skunked, you know, and and I miss fish or I don't even see fish, right? Right. But there's always that hope, you know, that when I'm, I'm as I'm meandering down, and I usually I mostly fish upstream. Right. Sure. So as I'm fishing upstream and, and coming around the corner and I see this nice little hole where there's like, like good, you know, good holding area uh, that that will, OK, this this could be the spot today, you know, hmm. and that just really I mean, uh, you know, I'm, I'm seeing it play out in my head before anything ever happens. Right. And sometimes it doesn't happen. And, and though that that's, you know, that's one of those times where um, when you realize that you don't know everything about fly fishing, even though, you know, I've been fishing over 20 years now, mm-hmm. you know, fly fishing, like really, really putting a lot of effort into learning, you know, how to, how to fish those streams, but I still get handed, you know, the old skunk. <laughs> yeah. We you know, and that hurts sometimes, Yeah, you know, but yeah. it's like, Hey, you suck it up and, and I'm back again because, and, and you never know. Like, I mean, I've had days that have just been phenomenal where I come back like, you know, a few weeks later and thinking, oh man, this is going to be amazing. That last time, you know, I, I cleaned up and this time I'm going to do the same and it's nothing, mm. you know, it's just like, yeah, just go home and kind of, you know, dust off and get ready for the next time. Julio, so it, it's it, interesting. There's always something new and it's mostly about how expectation, you know, the, the built up expectation that I have yet to master. Right. Right. Yeah. I know exactly what you mean. So if you had to look back at your 20 plus years of fly fishing, is there some people that were kind of influential in the learning curve when you kind of started to figure things out? Any, uh, any influences that come to mind? Yeah. You know what I, I like locally to hear there's, there's two guys that I, 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 I can give credit to. And one of them uh, actually lives in the Southwest corner of Saskatchewan and it's in a little town of Maple Creek, which is, very close to all these creeks and, and that's that's a really neat little town and it's it's kind of like uh, um, a, a little bit of a haven for you know for the uh, anybody who loves to you know just to to be near that you know that experience of going out in a 
you know, and fishing and hunting. I mean, it's just free. It's a rich area for that type of activity. So I, I wish I actually was closer to it, but I think it's probably nice that it's, it is what it is. One of the guys there was a fly fishing fanatic and he basically, I, I just basically loved going to his place because he used to run a, a fly fishing shop from, from that little town. And I helped him out with uh, his website way back when you know, websites were starting, everybody was starting to think about, oh, maybe I should have a website. So mm-hmm. I just, you know, did something up for him real, real quick, nothing fancy, uh, just to get him online kind of thing. And, and, to, you know, to drum up a little bit more work or business for him. Cause a lot of people didn't know he was there. Right. Um, but he, uh, he did a lot of, uh, a lot of, uh, work, uh, cause he used to work as a, um, he was a park director at, at Cypress Hills Interprovincial Park. And he was integ- integral in, in um, a project where there's a little pot lake there that, that's, again, fed by underground streams. It's not very deep, but the water temperature is just right enough for, for trout to survive, like mm-hmm. all year. And there's some big fish in there. I've seen them. I've yet to catch one. But he that was one of his favorite places to go because he knew there were some big fish. And, and, and he was close enough. You know, but he could, you know, go home after after work and and uh, after supper, head out there, and he he'd be you know he'd be catching some really nice fish. And um, but he was integral in getting that 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 thing going as far as uh, you know turning it into the kind of like that trophy fishery that it it became. And mm-hmm. they actually managed under his tutelage to to bring in some cutthroat. Some western from from Montana, they brought in some uh, I think some west slope cutthroats, mm-hmm. and those things thrived for a number of years, and then eventually they died out because they they just weren't uh, uh, they weren't able to uh, spawn like like the brookies and the rainbows in there were were doing, right? Which was a shame because then after that we couldn't get any more into Saskatchewan because of the uh, what's that the whirly disease, whirling, yeah, yeah, whirling disease, yeah, which was a shame. But uh, anyway, so he. He used to hold uh, what he called the Trout Festival once a year, and he did that for, I think, five or six years running. And I went to about three three or four of them. And, and I just wanted to be sort of like in and around people that, you know, were were fascinated by fly fishing like I was. So I ended up going a couple of times, and then the other times I just ended up helping. One year, I actually just ended up, and I just went fishing, and then I would come back and then just sort of hang out when everything was, kind of winding up and people were just kind of, again, just socializing. Mm-hmm. And that, that was probably one of my best years because that happened to be one of the, one of the years where I hit one of those days that was just perfect where I went to a Creek that I had never been to before. Actually, I had been to that Creek before, but I didn't know how to fish it, but I ended up going to that Creek and, and, uh, and it was just a magical day from start to finish. Right? Cool. That sounds um, awesome. And that Creek ever since has disappointed me. Because it set me up the bar so high that I can never match that. It's know? funny how we do that in our mind. When if you have an amazing <laughs> experience, it's like you put the bar up way up here, and then it's like, oh, eh, yeah. I may never yeah. see that again. Oh my god, it was incredible! Like it was mm. just, uh, I, again. That, that's I describe that day as as probably the closest feeling of being, you know, of of heaven that I could possibly have here on earth. Like it was just amazing. Wow, you know. That's cool. Uh, if there's if there's a heaven as people believe, then and then that was for me that was probably as close as a feeling of uh, exaltation or, or I don't know what you want to call it, but 
it was just a, a, a gorgeous day to be alive. Kind of thing. We're chatting tonight with Julio Salazar out of uh, Regina, Saskatchewan. Julio, I want to take a few minutes to get to know you in and around uh, your hometown. You ready for a few questions about your area? Sure. Talk to me about, so when you're on the way to one of these spring creeks and you're driving in your truck or your, your vehicle, uh, what kind of music you got going playing on the stereo there? Well, you know, I, I got a pretty eclectic uh, collection. Um, one of the things that I, um, obviously being Hispanic, I mean, I have uh, some Hispanic music that I like to play or, or, or you know, Hispanic uh, roots. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm also listening to a lot of uh, of the newer stuff. You know, like, and and this is one of the things that I've I've gotten into over the last few years because uh, I'm so crazy about fly fishing that in the winter here, uh, you know, I can do just a few things. I don't like ice fishing; I find it really boring, mm. right? So, like fishing in general. I mean, I love fishing, but I love fly fishing. I don't do a lot of, um, uh, like, what do you call uh, spin, spin fishing, spin fishing or bait yeah. cast fishing? Yeah. No, it's all it's all just fly fishing. Whether I'm fishing for carp or for pike or walleye, everything, you know, revolves around using the fly fishing, mm-hmm. you know, tools. So, um, in the winter, I don't, I don't like fish. So yeah. I either, I either build rods, uh, tie flies. Um, and I've gotten into over the last few years, I've gotten into putting together video and that's just become another medium for me to play with as, right. a, as an image creator. Sure. Uh, I'm also, uh, you know, I like that. I like the, the role of storyteller. So I've been trying to piece together like a year's worth of, or not even a year's worth, like a season worth of uh, clips, and just sort of tell a bit of a story about the experience of going out. Right. Mm-hmm. I was um, watching one you did the other day with a catfish out of. It looked like you're fishing out of a belly boat or a U-boat. No, actually, that was just uh, waiting. Like, I mean, uh, that was in the Red River in Manitoba. Oh, okay. Which which I met another guy, and this is another guy that actually I would add to my, my mentorship. You know, um, this guy is based out of Winnipeg, Manitoba. He's one of the, he was one of the most uh, generous guys I've ever met. Like he was so free in terms of giving me information. Like, like a lot of guys will not be that open as far as, Oh, this is where you fish and to get the big ones and this and that. He was not at all, you know, uh, what do you call guarding mm-hmm. any information as far as like, no, because I mean, it, like it's one thing to know how you know where the fish are. It's another to to actually make the effort and and get these fish, you know, to you know to respond. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, and that's the way I I, I view fly fishing. Like I like to share information. I want to tell the story about some some people have you know given me some feedback on like you know maybe you shouldn't be telling people about these fish that that we have in in our corner of the province. But it's like. I mean, you know what? There's a lot of people that know that there's fish there, but there's a lot of people that don't fish there because they can't physically handle that. I was just going to say, well, it sounds like it takes a lot of effort in some of these kind of spring creeks that are like overgrown. It's, it's work to get in there. Well, it's, it's work to get in. It's work to get out. It's work to get a fish, you know, and if you have a fish, then it's how the hell you get it out. Right. You know, that's, that's the thing. There's, there's a lot of challenges. I mean, I've broken, geez, I don't know how many rods now over the last, you know, so many years mm-hmm. because, you know, you, you, you take your falls, you break some rods, um, you know, you, you, you take your lumps and, and there's a lot of people that, that, like I said, like after a day, uh, you probably wouldn't be able to handle that, that physical punishment that, that it takes. And, you know, a lot, a lot more people do in regards to fly fishing, do 
you know, around these areas, they do uh, still water fishing because it's, it's it's a lot less physical, right? And and I I like the idea of doing that eventually when my knees and my ankles just can't take that punishment mm-hmm. anymore. Yeah, you know? I, I do like catching. You know, one thing that I have found with if you want to experience fishing with somebody, sometimes those spring creeks and those overground little sections are not the easiest to take somebody else with you and and the still water i think is kind of a nice it's i find it to be a little more social if that makes sense yeah definitely no i i took my son uh, i got three boys and uh, my my middle boy i took him out i asked him if he wanted to go out i thought he would enjoy it he's he's a uh, all three of my boys are, are creative and artistic in, in their own right and and the middle guy he's a little bit more like me you know mm-hmm. so i thought oh, you know i'm gonna ask him if he wants to go and so he was into it and so I had him out, you know, before the day before, which which was a mistake. But I was just so excited just to get my start getting my kids out, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And this is a few years ago now, but uh, I took him out, and and it was probably not the best thing because, yeah, there's a lot of challenges that, you know, I thought I could I could, you know, talk him through it, but he he just became so frustrated, right? Right. That he just he just kind of said, yeah, I don't want to do this anymore. You know, and that's the way that's the way I was initially, like way back. You know, there were days where I just ah, I don't want to do this anymore, and then but then I would I got drawn back again. Right, something would keep pulling me back. And and here's another guy that I uh, I should mention. Uh, there's another guy. His name's Victor Zubat. He's he's an avid fly fisherman who's been who's who's probably taught me the most about how to fish those creeks because he took me down there. Uh, and there was a, a group of us that went from our fly fishing club, and our, our club here was was founded in some I think fall of '86 or fall of '85, something like that, mm-hmm. way back then. And and that that club has existed ever since. I, I was a member when it initially started, and then I sort of like I thought I would go on my own for a while because I got busy with you know work and that kind of stuff. And but then I I, I sort of gravitated back to wanting to be part of the club again, and that's when I met. Um, my my good friend Victor, and who's who's not retired, but he's he's got like so much experience, and he's fished in you know in the U.S. He's fished all over you know Canada, and uh, but he took me. We went and we did this every spring. We would do uh, a little uh, fish out, a club fish out. So it was a group of guys, and he asked me if I wanted to go. So I said, oh, yeah, I'd, I'd love to go, you know. So he took me under his wing, and he says, look, I'm going to show you how to fish these creeks. Because I, I used to drive by those creeks that we went to, and I would drive by there. And, and in, 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 this is when I was trying to figure out things on my own, and this is like pre-internet days and that kind of stuff. So I basically got as much information as I, as I could from the library, um, you know, and, and that was basically all I had to go. Oh, and there was a pamphlet that I found online. Or no, not online. From the fisheries department. Mm-hmm. I, I managed to get a, and that's the one that is kind of like the Bible of, of all these little creeks that were in existence down there that were being, what you might call it, the stocked. So I used that, and then I ended up getting a topographic map, which is another great tool, because it showed me all the little roads that, you know, crossed these waterways and stuff, and so I would just take off and just go exploring on my own, but I would drive by some of these creeks and and I had heard all about these how great fishing was in these creeks, but I would look and I would say, You can't fish in there. How the hell do you cast? And this is where, you know, my, my, my friend basically he said, Okay, this is how you fish this creek. 
and he showed me that you know you can't do the you know the, the big long cast like you do like say if you were to go to montana and fish those big rivers right which looks nice and i'm sure it is but these small creeks require you know basically uh, uh, again good concentration and you have to become more accurate with your your line placement you have to think about you know where that fly has to land so that the current brings it down right to where you think there might be a fish kind of thing, right right so you gotta think you gotta think about all that stuff so it's not just a matter of start swing you know start flinging your line and, and get that thing out there it's like you gotta really think what's behind me what's beside me which which way is the wind coming from because you might only have one shot if there's a fish in there you might have one shot and I don't know how many times I've blown it, you know, because mm. I didn't take into account those little things like that, like the wind, right. you know, the bush behind me, that kind of stuff. Julio, and sure it, enough, sorry, sorry, go ahead. Yeah. And I'm sure enough, there's nine times out of 10, there'll be a fish there and I, I spook it because all of a sudden I'm stuck in the, in the brush and I have to, <laughs> you know, have to be yanking on it to, to try and get my flag. Well, so, there's no doubt that, that that type of fishing takes a lot of patience, a lot of experience and, and you got to know what you're doing. It's not like casting on the, uh, on the soccer pitch, you know, you need, uh, you don't have a lot of space to work with when you're fishing, on uh, those spring creeks, if you had to pick one go-to fly pattern, is there something that's, um, you reach for more often than not? Yeah, you know what? And this was again. That's uh, uh, this was a, a tip that was passed on to my by my friend Victor, and, and he basically said the the fly down here is is the black reach, hmm. and that's that's when we usually start because when you don't see anything on top, that's the that's the searching pattern that that we use. Sure. And and they're very very effective. And as soon as you know we see any sort of top water hits, then that's when we we would switch off to a, a dry fly, which is always so nice, right? When you can hit get fish to hit on top. Yeah, it's nice to have that visual. But, uh, yeah, but the yeah. black leech, that's 90% of the time, it's it's, it's probably the, the go-to fly. Where's your favorite place to talk fly fishing? Um, is it social media? Is, it, is there a coffee shop, a fly shop in Regina that you like to frequent, uh, a local pub? Where do you get your fix uh, when you're not on the water? Uh, you know what? Unfortunately, here again, fly fishing is not not the biggest thing around. So there's no existing fly shop. Um, you know, yeah, there's not. A, I mean, the, aside from just hanging out with a couple of guys from, say, the fly club, um, I don't really uh, do a lot of connection, a lot of connecting with in regards to fly fishing. Mm-hmm. What, you know, about, um, what about sports teams? Are you? I, I assume you, if you're in Regina, you're probably a Rough Rider fan. But um, oh yeah, oh, <laughs> Rough Rider fan for sure. Okay, and anybody else you uh, kind of cheer for? Uh, I'm a big soccer guy because I mean well, that's in my blood. So and I used to be a pretty good player in my in my younger days. So I uh, I do have a, a compulsion to to you know check out what's happening around the world when it comes to soccer. Um, you know like. The Spanish League, the English League, there's there's a few a few teams yeah. I like to watch. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I I've been to Chile, and I can tell you that. Well, as you know, it is religion. They love their soccer down there. It's a little crazy. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's. Uh, I mean, if you think when you come to Saskatchewan and you have a chance to watch the Riders, and you think people here are passionate, I mean, double that. Yeah. You know, you probably get a sense of what it's like to actually go down to Chile. 
Yeah, no, for pretty, sure. Pretty and ri- we all know in Canada, Ryder fans are pretty rabid. I mean, there's uh, there's nothing <laughs> like it when it comes to, uh, we're talking CFL, so Canadian Football League here. Um, if you had to kind of look back at your fly fishing journey thus far, Julio, would you, what would be the biggest lesson, the biggest takeaway that you've taken so far? Well, I think the biggest thing is... Uh, is be prepared. Don't take, don't take things for granted. I had a, and that and that that extends to, uh, I think everything, not just fly fishing. Um, I had a, yeah, yeah. Uh, I sort of a, a wake up call one time when when something happened on on the stream and and like I heard, like I mean, because things can go south really really fast, but we're so, you know, focused in on, on just the fun aspect of of the adventure that. You know, we forget that, you know, if you break a leg or, or something like that, you know, a, a physical ailment happens, uh, you could be in the middle of nowhere. So always be prepared for an emergency kind of thing, I think, because that's that could happen, right? Um, so whether it's, I mean, one of the things that I really like to do now is I, I've actually built a really good connection with uh, some of the ranchers that, that I, uh, whose land I fish in. Mm-hmm. And I always like to, you know, to make sure that I, if I can, go into their yards and and just say hello and and just let them know that I'm going to be in the vicinity. So, and just let them know I'm I'm just going to be here for the day. So if something happens and my car's still there and it's already dark or whatever, then they know something, you know, something has happened. Right. Then that's not, you know, because they know me now, so they they understand that. Something would be out of place if if uh, if that happened, right? Yeah, no, for sure. And that's something I think I think I know a lot of us take for granted when you're out, even just walking a canyon. Uh, and I know you're fishing wide open stuff, but it's easy to, you know, sprain an ankle, break a leg. You just never know what's coming around the bend, especially when you're walking through thick brush and, you know, oh un- yeah, undercut oh, it's banks. Dangerous. Yeah, no, for yeah, sure. Yeah, and we have wildlife uh, that can do some pretty big damage. I mean, uh, I've had, I got a buddy of mine that I fish with that has uh, an uncanny ability to attract moose <laughs> for some reason. It's almost like a spirit animal. We always make fun of that. But, I mean, those things can, you know, if, if you're in the, at the wrong yeah. place at the wrong time, they, they can do some damage. Um, also, there's a lot of cougars where we are, but... I mean, I'm not, I'm not that concerned because I mean, I think a lot of these uh, people that are worried, you know, overly worried about the cougars. I mean, the cougars are they keep to themselves. Like they're pretty, yeah. not, I mean, you know, private animals. Yeah. And. Uh, yeah, you're lucky if you is. see one. And that's like, that's the thing. Like I mean, they'll 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 long have left before you even get there, kind of thing, right? So. Yeah. No, for I sure. I don't think it's it's easy to see them. It, fill in the blank for me. Um, when I'm not fly fishing, I'm usually doing what? Well, when I'm not fly fishing, I'm usually uh, using my creative ability to, uh, you know, just get get stuff uh, out of my head. Because, I mean, I'm always having these creative ideas for whether it's my own stuff uh, or a new idea for um, for how to tie a fly or when I'm building a rod. You know, I'll, mm-hmm. I'll I'll try and you know I'm doing feather inlays or I'm I'm trying uh, a decorative you know um, wrap or something. 
Yeah. So what are you doing for a day job? I know you're a graphic de- designer, so it sounds like you're a creative guy to begin with, but walk us through what you do day to day to make a living. Well, I work for Tourism Saskatchewan, which, which again, is, is one of those interesting things because, I mean, it's, it's a fantastic place to work um, because we're, we're pushing a very sexy product, which is like, you know, get out there and have fun. You know, mm-hmm. come see our province, kind of thing. And, uh, and so I get to see a lot of beautiful photography. I get to, to use my creative ability to put together information, you know, for print. Uh, I'm, I mostly do print. I do some, you know, some graphics for online use, but most of my, my uh, years that I've spent there, it's been mostly print. And, you know, so we put out vacation guides and all kinds of information, literature. So I'm... Uh, I get to play, you know, getting information out to people mm-hmm. so that they can come here and spend their money. So you you get to tell a story. Yeah, in a way, I always I always think about as that way. I, I don't do any any writing, but I mean, visually is is when I, I I'm always looking for images that again say something meaningful about this place. How long have you been doing that? Uh. 23 years, I believe, 22, wow. 23 years. Wow. That was the next question I was going to ask you. What's the best job you've ever had? Are, are you doing it now? Oh, yeah, I would have to say this has been a, a godsend for me because, I mean, uh, like I went to art school in in Calgary. I, I went to the Alberta College of Art, which was, at that time, that's what it was known for. Now it's called, uh, I think, the University of Art, mm-hmm. Alberta Art, or something like that. Anyways, they changed the name again. But, uh, and I, I came back to Saskatchewan because I uh, wanted to be closer to my family. I didn't want to be, you know, isolated. And I, you know, ended up applying for this job when it came open and I got it. And I've been here ever since. And it's, like I said, it's probably one of the greatest uh, places I could have landed in hmm. as far as uh, a job because it's, it's allowed me to, you know, live a comfortable life. And, and actually use my, my creative gift, right? Yeah. And on the side, I do, you know, my own stuff. Like, I mean, I, I, like I said, I, I, I'm always looking for creative outlets and, you know, whether it's building rods and, and, and giving them my own touch and decorative touch or flair yeah. or whatever, or, or even, even flies. When I tie flies, I, I try and, you know, maybe play with some material or colors or whatever. Um, well, always I- something. And then, you know, like, and also images, you know, I'm, I'm, I've gotten into creating uh, uh, videos. That, that's, uh, you know, it's my latest thing. Is yeah. For the last, I think, four or five years, I've been putting together these little videos. And, and that's been a really cool, you know, uh, medium to play with because there's so much to learn as far as um, editing, you know, editing is an art in itself. Oh, um, yeah. For you sure. know, music. You know, the music, and this is where my eclectic music collection comes in because I'm always on, now I'm always, I'm always listening for that one song that has the right energy and mm. I can visualize images, you know, that, that would go along with that uh, tune or something like that. Like, so I, 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 I make notes of those and, and a lot of times I will be listening to CBC radio and they'll feature local artists that have a unique sound and, and I will... I, you know, make note of that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So um, it's expanding my, you know, um, I guess my arsenal of, 
of what I can play with when I'm bored. Yeah. No, it's, I mean, it creates that backdrop for sure. I, I know exactly how important the music is when you're editing. Talk to me about um, what kind of equipment you're using to um, capture your trips. Are you using GoPros? Are you using uh, just a standard iPhone? What, what are you uh, recording on? Mostly GoPros. I've been using GoPros now for, well, since the beginning. I mean, I started with a GoPro 3, and then I've been, you know, uh, upgrading simply because I've actually lost some of my GoPro 3s in my adventures. Like, Right. Yeah, so uh, I don't know. I mean, that would be the greatest thing if I ever if I ever find one of those again when I'm fishing in the same areas, but I doubt it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, not the, I'm not the only one that's lost GoPros out there, but that's mainly what what I've been using and and then I just use uh, iMovie on my Mac yeah uh, to put them together it's a pretty basic uh, software but it, it has everything that I need now I mean I I probably would you know uh, I don't know if I you know when I mean I'd like to use the the Mac program that's a little bit more uh, has more features but it would just mean me making an effort to spend more time learning that stuff. Which Well, the, you hit that on the head. That's the thing I find about editing software. It can be as fancy as you want, but if you don't use it and know it inside and out, it's almost irrelevant. <laughs> so like if use what you know, because otherwise, you know, it's all about getting that content out there. And sometimes some of those programs can get a little bit, uh, I don't know, fancy, a little bit high end. And then next thing you know, it's like, well, it's a lot of work. I'm going to leave that alone for a while. Well, and that's the thing. I mean, I, I that's so, that's the thing that concerns me is is you spend a lot more time uh, working through the frustration of, of not figuring something out mm-hmm. when you can. I could have I could have had this already like flowing, you know. Yeah. Um, and it, and it is about the story, right? I mean, sometimes that's this is what I find too with with graphic design softwares. A lot of people get caught up with uh, bells and whistles of the software as opposed to just you know using the principles of what it is that you need. Yeah, to that's. Tell your, you know, your message. That's good advice right there for sure. I, I want to take it back to the water and um, I, I want you to describe your perfect day, your dream day. So I assume it's probably on one of these gorgeous spring creeks in, in Saskatchewan. But if you had to walk us through your ideal day, what does that look like? Well, it's a nice, nice early start. Uh, you know, it's a, it's going to be a beautiful uh, day, uh, mix of sun and cloud, but not too hot, uh, but not too cold. A little bit of a breeze during the day, uh, but again, not not uh, not a gale of a wind. Hmm. And the grass, it's just right. It's not too high and it's not too thick, so you can actually still see where you're stepping, and, and not you're not going to fall into a a beaver slide or 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 over. Uh, deadfall that you can't see uh but it's it's just just enough there to give you a little bit of cover so that you can actually you know your 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 approach is stealthy and the fish are going to be hungry you know and and it's going to be uh an early start as far as catching fish and it's going to keep going until until the evening until where you're you're just you're just feeling like okay you know what i've caught enough fish today like this is i just want to sit here and listen to the birds what kind of species are you chasing? Uh, the, the three trout, well, the two trout, and then the char. So I mostly target brown. Hmm. Yeah, but there's there's rainbows and and then there's brookies. 
the brookies here um, are fairly small, especially in those little creeks, and, and they have a tendency to be a bit like perch. They, they just overpopulate, you know, water bodies so quickly that they stunt themselves. So it's a lot of work for small fish, right? Uh, so I don't usually go for those. Uh, the rainbows are actually pretty nice fish, and depending on, on what sections I, I, I go to um, in certain creeks. And those fish put up a really good fight. But the browns, for some reason, there's something about the coloration of the browns here. And I've, I've heard a few people mention that when they've, they've seen them, you know, when I've showed them photos and stuff. And they say, they ask, are, are they really that color? And I say, yeah, yeah, that's, hmm. that's what they look like here. And I, I shared a few images from people uh, from the States that, that fish and, and they ask the same question because their their fish do not look like that at all. I mean, there's there's a really nice, bright, almost orangey yellow color to them compared to, to you know, uh, yellowish, uh, you mm-hmm. know, kind of a, a faded yellowish in, in some, in most other areas. Yeah. And I don't know if that has to do with the feed that they get, you know, from, from those creeks uh, being... Uh, spring fed mm-hmm. it, it might have something to do with that but they're beautiful fish and for some reason I, I just love you know brown trout because of that and you would think you know the brookies would be the, the most colorful but I mean because I don't fish for them that often I mean and the only time they really sort of color up is is in the fall when you're ready for spawning right yeah true but that would be the best time but otherwise yeah the brown are, are one of my favorites and, and they are uh, by far you know, one of the, the tougher fish, I guess, you know, to deal with because they love the randoms. Yeah. So you're kind of going in those undercut kind of, yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. Get in that thick stuff. They're hard to find. Yeah. Yeah. No, but they're, uh, they're definitely worth the challenge. So. Cool. Um, is there a campfire at the end of the day, something warm to drink, something cold to drink? Oh yeah, usually I enjoy a nice cold beer. So we, uh, you know, whenever we have my buddy and I, uh, I sometimes I fish with with uh, one of my buddies, and or sometimes I just go by myself. But we always always have a a nice cold one waiting for us, you know, mm. in uh, in the cooler. Perfect. And there's nothing. There's, I don't know what it is, but there's nothing that can make a, a day even better yeah. than than feeling that that cold. You know, beer hit your 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 tongue when when yeah. you take the first step. <laughs> Sounds pretty good. So, if you had to, this is kind of a philosophical question, but I I like to ask it because it goes a lot of different ways. But is there anything you think as as a group fly fishers could be doing maybe a little better or a little differently? Is there maybe something that kind of irks you that you see out there? Yeah, I, well. The biggest thing about fly fishing is it's become such a big business now. You know, um, people get caught up with all the technology of it. and But that's like a lot of things. Like, I mean, I, I look at it as the same with the hunting. I mean, now there's all these, you know, things that make things a lot easier than they used to be. But at the same time, those those older hunters were still getting it done with the primitive stuff that they were using, right? Mm-hmm. And it's the same thing with the fly fishing you know, arsenal. It's it's like people were catching, you know, with with big ass, you know, bamboo rods that weighed like ten pounds, and they were out there, you know, getting it done kind of thing. But now you got to spend, you know, thousands of dollars for for a piece for a stick that 
you know, you could you could probably use something that was way more, you know, economical for your budget, right? If you if you if you just know what you're doing, kind of thing, right? Like, right? I mean, the technology is not it's not the answer to to becoming a better, you know, outdoorsman. It's always about knowledge. It's always about mentorship. It's always about you know providing a hint here and there to somebody who's who's a novice. So I think the sharing information is is the other thing too. Is is like because if if nobody knows about about the beauty the beauty that you have right in your backyard, like I mean. Nobody's gonna care if something's happening to it, right? Yeah. So if, if if you let people know about about what we do have, is is they will say, hey, you know, we need to protect that because maybe someday I'll want to do that, or maybe my kid wants to do that, or or who knows, right? Yeah. So if we take that to our grave, what good does that do? Yeah, that's that. That's that sharing. That's that exchange, and and that does come up a, a lot. I mean, the more that we're exposed to it, the more we talk about the places we go, other people will want to go there, and then they're they're more likely to want to look after the resource. Yeah, like, and even even if they don't, I mean, you know, the fact that they know about it, they they'll realize that they, it is something worth having in your own backyard. Hmm. Think how many I mean, times too you've been to some amazing spot. Um, and it, it may not even be in your backyard, but it may be anywhere in the world. But just knowing that those places are there makes this world a better place. Because you know what? One day, I've never fished Yellowstone, but one day I'm going to do it. That's on, that's on the bucket list or whatever the bucket list for you is. Just knowing that place is out there, if it's some remote fly-in destination in Alaska or uh, northern British Columbia or wherever the heck you're going, just knowing those places still exist really makes, uh, for me, I find that motivating. Yeah, no, and I think that's that's a good point, and that's exactly, and that speaks to that. You know, if, if people, more people know about it, then you know, the more people might be able to uh, to stand up for it, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. So, you want to throw your Instagram um, account out there, so if somebody wants to follow along on some of your escapades in in uh, Saskatchewan and and kind of some of these spring creeks you're fishing, some of your catfish journeys, uh, where do they where do they find you? Oh, my tagline is uh, Moscatero, which is M-O-S-C-A-T-E-R-O, 66, Moscatero, 66. And that's just uh, like a, a, a play on words. It's kind of like Hispanic. Uh, Moscatero is like, it's, it's musketeer. Okay. It's our word for musketeer. But it's, it has mosca, which means fly. So I'm like an adventurer, you know, like a musketeer out there flaming along with this big long rod. So... It's kind of like a little pun that I, I created for my own amusement. Good stuff. Have you had anything weird or wonderful happen to you in on any of your fishing trips in the last 20 years that come to mind? Any crazy fish stories you want to share with us today? Crazy fish stories? Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, I'm sure there's a few, but I, you know, I, nothing's really jumping out. You must have I mean, a couple uh, from... I mean, I'm sure you've got a few tripping over the shrubbery into the spring creek or going any uh, any wildlife stories or any uh, just anything kind of weird that's happened to you. Uh, well, I've heard I've heard some some stories about uh, <laughs> from other people that that have some pretty wild stories, but. Uh, myself, I can't say that I, I've had anything too crazy happen. I mean, I've been lucky. I've been taking, I've taken some falls, like you know, down the bank, and one time I ended up 
you know, like landing right on my feet, but in the creek kind of thing. But I did like a flip, if you can believe that. Well, that's, that's impressive. Um, yeah, so uh, I don't know how I did it, but it, 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 I mean, I guess obviously it helped that I wasn't up too high, but still, a fall <laughs> is a fall. You just never know where you're going to end up. Um, I, I just got lucky. Um, no, you know what? I can't say I have any any really crazy stuff. I mean, you, again, you hear some crazy stories. Uh, oh, I got I got an old one, but it didn't happen to me. It was one of my one of my uh, fishing. Sure, let's go buddies. there. That'll work. Yeah, um, and they were telling me about this other guy who's part of our club, and and he was actually he's a really good guy. Like he's an older man, an older guy. He's retired and. And but he loved he loved to come out and fish, and he was he was a no nonsense fly fisherman guy, like nothing fancy. He just came out with his rubber, you know, waders and stuff, and you know he didn't have the latest and greatest uh, stuff. But he just loved to be out there with the guys, and and he loved to smoke. So he always he always carried a pack of smokes in his in his pocket, in his chest pocket, right? And he would you know we we get to the creeks, and then all of a sudden he'd you know he he'd take okay I'll go upstream, okay we'll go downstream, and whatever and um whenever he went upstream the the runny joke was that uh anytime you saw you saw a pack floating by yeah, you knew that he had fallen in <laughs> so that was his trademark which was quite quite a funny joke at the uh, at the club like a player's light hat <laughs> yeah <laughs> i've seen some of them so, but luckily he never he never ever got injured or anything like that so that was good it was it was just more embarrassing but more yeah. More uh, fuel for the guys to you know needle them. So what's what's up for you this winter, Julio? So are you? Is it going to be uh, lots of hours at the bench, or is maybe now you know now that winter's kind of setting in, is it a good time for you to kind of go back and look at your your video creations from the season and maybe start doing some editing, or what's what's on the menu? Yeah, no, you want I uh, I just finished my my twenty twenty uh, video, so I'm going to be. Uh, putting that out fairly quick here and after that it'll be i got a bunch of rods that i'm I'm refinishing the cork uh, handle on them mm-hmm. i'm just adding some uh like um, they were all you know dark and stuff so I, i've sanded them down and i've just added some some personal touch to it i'll probably put that on instagram as well after i get that done and then i have a new uh a new rod uh, uh kit that i i ordered a glass rod Oh, yeah. That I wanted uh, for the longest time, and they had a great sale. It was at uh, uh, Swift, no Epic, Epic, sorry, Epic. Uh, yeah. Uh, rods, they make them down down under. Yeah, so I've heard they're a nice stick. I've never thrown one, but um... yeah, I know I've I've seen lots of good stuff on their on their rods. So I, I unfortunately I just wasn't uh, you know wasn't too you know crazy about their their price tag, but they had a great sale. Uh, I think midsummer, late mm-hmm. summer, something like that. So I ordered one up, and it it got you know it got to me, but I haven't opened it yet. So I'm, I'm gonna give it that was my Christmas present. Nice. So I'm, I'm I'm gonna be opening that up on the on the 25th, and that'll be my my Christmas project. Yeah. As far as rod building goes, and then of course you know uh, just uh, filling my fly box of of uh, my necessary arsenal with. Yeah. You know, with leeches and beetles and stuff like that that seem to be a, a fair staple. Yeah. As somebody that builds rods and spends a lot of time fishing these spring spring creeks, what's your ideal setup? So talk to me about, you know, length of the rod, the weight, um, 
what are you using out there? I my my go to is a five weight. Uh, any anything seven seven foot to eight weight. Oh, sorry, seven foot to eight feet. Anything longer than that, and it gets really cumbersome when you're working through the brush, you know, and through the rambles and stuff. And hmm. and uh, I mean, I, I sometimes I do, and and I do this just out of guilt. I, I will take rods out because I I have quite a collection of rods, and my biggest challenge is deciding which one I'm going to take. So, but so sometimes I'll take a rod that's a nine foot, which you know it's a little bit more cumbersome, but at least I fish it once, and then I can put it away and not feel guilty about having spent so much money on it. Yeah. Um, but my, my favorite one is uh five weight, you know, like I say, eight. Um, and I have, I really like, like the, the glass, but I have this one rod that I built years ago now that is just a gorgeous, uh, uh, carbon fiber. Um, I don't even know. I can't remember who, who made that. The blank, but I mean, I, I got it, and it's got such a nice feel. So you, you know, like it? Do you like a, a slightly slower action? I mean, when you start talking about glass rods, it's obviously um, you know a little slower action for sure. Yeah, you know, and I, I don't mind it because that's you know when I first got my my first fly rod was a Canadian Tire Special. It was a glass rod, mm-hmm. you know, and and I always liked that feel. Like I I really love the way that the rod loads. Um, yeah. I mean, as you know, the carbon fibers are, are a lot more responsive to energy so but it, again it, it it needs you know i need to feel it yeah yeah i, I know i know what you mean i've got a yeah. i've got a seven and a half foot two weight that i've oh wow i just have not I, i've been looking at this rod for years and i don't fish a lot of small creeks but i've got a few that i i do spend time on and my my problem is, is then you got to then you need the new smaller reel then you need the the two the three weight line then it's like you know you you set the wheels in motion right yeah no and that runs that's, yeah. and that's uh, that's the danger that you can get into this. <laughs> I, but that's the thing I think a lot of a lot of us fishermen you know fly fishermen uh, are real gearheads when it comes to that kind of stuff like yeah you know there's not a lot of a lot of fly fishermen that I know that don't have you know quite the collection of of equipment you know. Yeah, for sure. So, what's your go-to? You're wearing waders, obviously. I assume when you're walking these fields and and brambles and whatnot. Um, what kind of waders you wearing? Uh, I got these these waist high uh, Reddington ones that are really been a cat's ass. Like, I mean, they're just really comfortable, and I really like them. Hmm. Uh, I got them a few years ago now. I mean, and they're still, you know, they they luckily I haven't punctured them. But um, and as far as uh, you know, for uh, for chest highs, I have uh, a pair of Sims and then a pair of uh, Hodgson's. I, right. I got uh, some that uh, I really like, very comfortable, and, and they were really inexpensive you know, you, compared to some of the ones. What are you wearing over top of those on your feet? Are you wearing like a, a wading boot or? Um... Oh, yeah. Yeah, I usually wear, I get the, um, you know, the, the waders with uh, the booties. So then, then I, I, I'm yeah. wearing, you know, boots that uh, have basically saved me, I don't know how many times, from, from rolling ankles. That, that's the one thing that you got to have down there. Even if I'm not wearing waders, I, I will wear, you know, wading boots. Yeah. Because they, they're, they're a lifesaver. Um, and as far as uh, boots goes, uh, I've got some, you know, some Sims. I've got some uh, Corkers. Um, i got some Cabela's. 
So, and, and that's the other thing too. I'm, I'm, I'm a bit of a crazy guy when it comes to shoes. So anytime I, I see a sale on, on boots, I usually end up grabbing them if they have my size because, mm-hmm. you know, that's just the way I roll, I guess. Yep. Good stuff. Well, it sounds like you're up to some good things on those uh, spring creeks in, in the Regina area. I, I want to thank you for, for taking the time tonight, Julio. I, re- I really appreciate it. Well, I appreciate you, uh, you know, inviting me on. I mean, I again, it's, it's great to connect with somebody on you know a different part of the country and 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 see how much uh, we have in common when it comes to you know a passion like fly fishing. Absolutely. Well, I love what you're up to, and I encourage you to check it. What's the name of your Instagram handle again? Uh, somebody wants to look you up. Uh, Moscatero, M-O-S-C-A-T-E-R-O, 66, Moscatero 66. We've been chatting tonight with Julio Salazar out of uh, Regina, Saskatchewan. He's a graphic designer, passionate fly fisher, passionate about everything he does. Image creator, fly fisher, fly tire, rod builder. Check him out on Instagram. Thanks so much for joining us tonight. The Fly Fishing 97 podcast is brought to you by theflycrate.com. Thank you for listening to the Fly Fishing 97 podcast. Your feedback matters. Let us know if there's a person or topic you'd like discussed. Email us at mark at flyfishing97.com. Until next time, tight lines and we'll see you on the water. Mm-hmm.